welcome back. Welcome back to the Vulture Club. It's been a week. It has. What a week it's been. If you're coming here for a hope of reprieve from the anxiety, I can say maybe, depending on how we deliver this <laughs> show. Anyway, we're all isolating. The schools are off. We're sitting here thinking, this is tricky to manage, but it would be much fucking trickier if either of us worked in the hospital, which neither of us do. Uh, so if you're listening and you're doing that kind of cold front, what do you call it, job? Working at the cold face. A cold face. We thank you and we're sorry. It's, it's so funny. Like you're told, okay, we're isolating. Yes. As in we're keeping, supposed to be keeping a distance. But then I'm but in then my house with my kids and I'm like, okay, we'll just go down to the show. We'll just hit the park. And then you're bumping into your friends. So you're having a conversation. And then, you know, suddenly you're like, oh shit, wait, we're doing exactly the thing we're not supposed to be doing. Oh yeah. And apparently that's what got Italy in trouble, all the kissing. I was about to say, I mean, I, on, under normal circumstances, resent how saying hello and goodbye has become this enormous show of hugging and full body contact and I'm constantly complaining about that Hmm. Corona hits and I am like smooching everyone I see forgetting that we're supposed to be tipping elbows also do you think the tipping elbows is like weirdly more more intimate intimate. yeah yes I think a wave I like that I like like a wave or like a thumbs up from a distance yeah, or even like a weird close range thumbs up. No, no, that's in that that will give someone the, the idea that the, that you're looking for a thumb war. Oh, which would be <laughs> that's true. The opposite. Uh, yeah, that's my instinct. I think and tipping engage. elbows. Yeah, is like tipping nose nipples. to armpit. Nip tip. Nip tip is what I'm experiencing when you try and tip my elbow. I'm like, why? Haven't had do you insist on nip tipping. Try to tip my elbow because it's still touching. Oh, I've done that loads. You're not supposed to be touching at all, even clothing. <laughs> okay, wait. Have I just discovered that I'm the only person insisting on the tipping of the elbows? And yes. I'm complaining about it. Okay. okay, we have a good show coming up, basically. Later in the show, I'm talking to Ruth Medjabar, the photographer who um, is has done a deadly photo essay for roguecollective.ie this week and we chat all about her recent travels in Morocco and how she got started in her career as a, a photographer. Um, she has shot the likes of Arcade Fire, Grace Jones, David Grohl, Stephen Fry, a load of cool people. We've also got a special books uh, roundup from... Myself and Leiden Hines. So we're going to be telling you how to comfort read your way through the self-isolation. But uh, first up, I suppose we might have a come again. All right, let's do it. Okay, my come again this week is from Twitter. Oh, yeah. What do you know? It's actually just an account that I'm like, everyone needs to go and enjoy an account called Pictures of the End. I'm just going to drag my microphone so I can lean against the wall. Certainly do. Pictures of the End. Pictures of the End. It's at Neighbours Wi-Fi. Do you know this? It's quite big. Like They've got nearly 30,000 followers. Pictures of the End of what? Like the end of a packet of biscuits? No, like pictures of the end. Oh, dead people. As in documenting the end of the world. Follow to witness the last era of humans and animals on Earth. Why are you... 
Brackets parody account. It's parody. fucking it's hilarious. Okay. It's just one of those ones that like, it just gets you. You know, uh, it's now it's it would really get you. And like, it's completely <laughs> without captions. <laughs> it's very unadorned. Nothing. It looks pretty or anything because it's the pictures at the end. But for example, this I thought was pretty apt. It's a roll of knitted toilet paper. <laughs> That's it's just extremely apt. For whatever reason, you just come upon them sometimes, you know, you just come upon them in your feed. And it'll just be like that reminds me of joyfully those? depressing. What's left in Aldi at the moment? Yes. Little scented toilet roll. Exactly. Disgusting freaks. You know who you are. In fact, <laughs> I know I can almost guarantee there's a listener this week who says, who's saying to herself, that toilet scented toilet paper. I know that scent because my mother buys that. Because my ass smells like And my it. ass smells like <laughs> peaches and human feces. <laughs> I'm sorry, but look, I just like clicked in here, for example, pictures at the end. And it's like assorted grass, fake grass swatches and an adorable little goat trying to eat them. I know. Look, it doesn't translate to audio. <laughs> <laughs> and And that is the medium I work in. So... I am stupid, no. but it's just... You're showing me another picture. Again, Sophie, this is a podcast. Okay. You're showing me a picture of a, of a Labrador eating a 99. <laughs> and I'm not sure how high you are, Sophie, but I'm definitely not as high. Okay. And this looks I good. I feel sorry for anyone who's not as high not as me. not getting the pleasure that you are. Let's <laughs> have a look now. You've lost your shit over a picture of... Oh, it's just a, a gathering of popes and... A man dressed as Darth Vader behind. That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. What do you no. call a gathering of popes? A popelet? <laughs> a haggle? A potpourri. A potpourri. <laughs> yeah, now that's brilliant. Now that's audio. Do you know what you just did? Boom! There? I made an actual you, audible joke on this podcast. You did it. Okay, not one of my better so, come agains. Solid come again. Solid from a come again. On the edge. Does this section have a title? Today I learned. No. I thought we were doing celebrity coronavirus oh. updates. <laughs> Let's call it celebrity coronavirus. Celebrity coronavirus updates. Uh, so quite sadly. You know, it might become a regular slot. We don't know. We're uh, hoping not. Crowd favourites. Tom Cruise and his wife, Hilary Swank. No. <laughs> What's her name? <laughs> I can see how you went there. Tom Hanks. Wait. Rita Wilson. It's like that, but But Hilary Swank came from Hank. Ah, I feel like if you were looking for a rhyming Cockney uh, translation of Tom Hanks, it would be Hillary Swank, wouldn't it? Hillary Swank's Tom Hanks. Yeah. Who's swanking who? Who's really, who's Hank? Well, whatever. I think I'm trying to make a masturbatory joke. Just insert that into that slot. Give us your Tony Swankock. Uh, so both of them now have it. Devastating. And you're annoyed by something about it but before we go into that we need to discuss them being in Australia having hugged kissed and baby held with photographic evidence all the way through Australia shooting that Baz Luhrmann film now that we have photographic evidence and we'll be able to backtrack each sad person that they've infected yeah because I'm like really moths to a flame a regular to everyone to wants a, to to a fame touch the the swank hank yeah everyone wants to swank the hank <laughs> so now everybody everyone has corona has swanked the hank yeah and they're also, all up hillary's creek quite <laughs> <laughs> so, 
quite selfishly, they also opted to travel through Australia in the pouches of kangaroos. <laughs> so the whole kangaroo population has been decimated <laughs> by Hilary Swank and Tom Hanks. <laughs> Listen, we know them, we love them. But look, I, I don't... He I, has a reputation for being the nicest man in the world and I'm here to start the backlash. Okay. okay. Oh, okay, Hear I'm open. Hear me I will, I will. So, look, they basically... Brought out a statement, as famous people will do when something happens to them. That's fine. Get, get ahead of the ahead of the news. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, something? get ahead of the news. And uh, so the actor said in a statement, quote, Rita had some chills that came and went. Slight fevers too. To play things right, as is needed in the world right now, we were tested for the coronavirus and found to be positive. Good for you. Now. Are you seeing what I'm seeing in this statement? Yes. It's a little bit self-congratulatory. Massively. Little bit pat on the back. Yes. Of ourselves. Yes. We are... Taking it into, into our own hands. We are what the we world are, needs right now. In order to set a good example yes. for our followers uh, yes. in the commu- outside community, you know, people less famous than us. <laughs> uh, that's total bullshit because they have a team of PAs, a team of people they would be unable to hide the chills from from who would be immediately suspicious huge staff (laughs) and then a whole fucking film and on the back of that film the insurance company like you you have the what now so (laughs) filming is shut down it's costing everyone a fucking fortune and they're pretending like they've that they made the decision and said no we we need to do the right thing it's time we need to set an example. No, Sarah, I'm not coming into work today. <laughs> I won't have that caramel latte. I'm going straight to the GP. Okay, fetch me my kangaroo pouch. <laughs> Take me to the nearest GP. Didgeridoo, Didgeridoo doc. doc. Um, now, what could be happening in this statement? And I just, but I don't know if Hanks is salty enough for this, but this could be a bit of shade at Trump. Come on. Because, as we know, Trump has been... Tom Swanking, Hank Swanking, every feckin' infected world leader he can find. Oh, yeah. And he is making sure that there is a photo op at every point as he's tonguing Brazilian officials, Republican senators. He's picked, he picked your man's nose, the king, the king of Canada. Straight <laughs> up picked his, picked his nose as a way of greeting. And he instead will of... not be tested. Him and Vice President Why? Why does Mike he say Pence, he won't be? Are saying they're refusing to be Why? tested. On the grounds of what? Because they're, they're afraid they'll be positive and we'll have to stop presidenting or have to president from a distance like everybody <laughs> fucking wants them to. President from home. On this subject, but slight sidestep, are you starting to feel sorry for Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris? Not remotely. They are currently sorry, that's having... a lie. I am. I would not like either of their jobs right now. And they are not even... They're not even supposed to be in those jobs right now. They are mm. having the worst working out my notice period ever. 100%. The 100%. handover from hell. The handover from hell. But there's nobody sort of waiting in the wings yet. So, well, okay. yeah, yeah, I guess there is people waiting is, in the wings. But, but they're also like, I'm not sure now's the right time. You finish that. Yes. And I'll take it up. On, let's. I'll, I'll do Brexit when I'll it's back again. pop in. Yeah. Can we have just a moment to savour 
Harvey Weinstein going to oh. fucking jail. Yeah. So okay, you, that's all I needed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's great. 23 years, 26 years, whatever. 23. It's definitely going to die in jail. If someone had said 23 months, I he mean, would said, I would have been something. like, you know, at least it's something. I, my prediction so here I, is he's not, he's just going to die soon. Mm, no, he's not. Yeah, he's not looking great. And he's, he, you know, whatever, he might speed up the process. There's no way he's going to serve his time one way or the other. Yeah, because like the sentence was handed down and he immediately went to hospital. Literally yeah, within hours. high blood pressure. Yeah, so that might yeah. be kind of a way of staying clear of jail if you just sort of remain sick and too sick to go to jail in the first place. I'm sure that a hospital is a, a sight lot nicer than jail. Yeah, yeah. It's it's totally mad. I honestly, like we were talking on the Creep Dive on this week's episode actually uh, about a paedophile getting 12 months Ugh. and and he had admitted, he pled guilty and got 12 months. Crack. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? So like, yeah. I think it's actually, it is a, a huge, huge um you know, step towards progress. Step in the right direction. Yeah. Like, honestly, like I said, that's if you told me 23 months, I would have been like, we're getting there. Do you know what I mean? Uplifting. So 23 years, I'm like, wow, that's big. Happy that's days. a big message to, to people who've suffered like his victims have. Okay, so I'm joined this week by Ruth Medjbear, who is our uh, contributor to Rogue this Sunday. Um, if you haven't caught her beautiful photo essay of a recent trip to Morocco, head on over to roguecollective.ie and uh, check out Ruth's beautiful pictures and meditation on traveling and experiencing Morocco as a solo woman and, uh, and how it all went. Mm. Or listen to Ruth right now, of course, because she's going to give us a little potted kind of uh, version. Because I'm here and you're listening <laughs> she's now. Right here. <laughs> she's here with you. <laughs> so you like to go away for a little bit of a kind of chunk of time each year. I try to. Because my job is, there's a lot of travel included in my job when I'm out taking photographs of bands and mm. I could be on tour with them. Um, and you do get to see a lot of the same places over and over again. So what I like to do is give myself a dedicated two to three weeks, usually at the start of the year, like January, when the music industry is quiet and I will go away. Just just go away, take myself away and have no kind of aim or objective or anything other than to be a tourist, have a look around me. And I'm not there to take pictures, but I like I use photography in my life in so many different ways. Obviously, it's my main form of income. But on the other side of that, it is I love the way you said the word meditation. I'm like, mm. yeah, it kind of is like yeah. that for me. But this year I decided to go to Morocco. Mm. Um, so I went over for just th nearly three weeks. Um, I was going to go on my own. But then my friend Sinead met her for coffee one day. She was like, can I come? I was like, yes, of course you can. Uh, so she came over and joined me for a week. Yeah. Uh, and then I had the rest of the time on my own. Mm. Um, and we had initially decided to join a tour group kind of thing because my life is so 
busy and I'm running a business as well as like running my house and walking my dog and all the usual stuff that everybody does. I didn't really have time to sit down and plan a trip. So I thought I'm just going to follow someone else's itinerary. I just want to be a sheep. It's yeah. relaxing. Tell me where to go. Yep. Tell so, me which direction to look out the bus. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I signed up for one of those tour guide thingies and it was lasting. The tour was lasting 20 days or mm. so. Um, and it looked amazing. So so that was it. We, we started at the end of January and came back in uh, mid-Feb. And I think going on a tour like that in a country like Morocco, where it might be hard to get to grips with the kind of even just landscape of Morocco, because it's like there's mountainous regions. Yeah. There's like very there's a lot of tourism on the coast. But then there's also it kind of like, you know, borders onto the Sahara. Mm. So I can see how it just seems like a real undertaking to like it's unbelievable do your own itiner- itinerary. Yeah, even just the logistics of the connections and everything is crazy because mm. you know you're talking about a country that doesn't really use you know the like the web like we would you know there's no there's no travel apps there's no transport for Ireland there's nothing yeah, yeah. there's nothing like that to kind of easily guide you around when you're talking about small little travel operators and little bus drivers and all this kind of stuff so I just thought listen I'll go with the that company and you know part of the journey was so remote which is what I loved about this itinerary was mm. that we were staying with Real, fam- real families who were in extremely remote um, villages mm. that we were getting our private hired van to this village and then we had to put our packs on and then it was an hour walk from that village because oh, that's cool. where the road stopped. Yeah, So yeah. it was an hour off road walking. It's kind of like, you know, sugarloaf terrain where you're like, oh my God, this is an actual hike. Yeah. Like, how do these villagers do this all the time? But it was a really interesting insight getting yeah. to be that close uh, like, in the family. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> and I really liked that aspect of what you've kind of written for the site this week. Yeah, I kind of wrote it from a woman's point of view because I wrote it like just coincidentally on International Women's Day, you know, so mm. I'm surrounded by all this. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, do you know what? I could have written about Morocco in so many different ways because, you know, I had three weeks there. There's a lot to write about, but I, I didn't want to bore people. So I just wrote it from the point of view of women, of me being a female traveler, of how I perceived women to be treated and acknowledged and supported and encouraged in Morocco. Mm. And I'm very clear about this. I'm I'm a tourist in that city. I didn't live there for any extent, you know, any long period. I didn't um, get to spend as much time as I'd like to with locals. So it's very much just from the first sight. So, mm. you know, I'm going to hold my hands up and go, I'd love to spend more time there and get to know a different side of Morocco. But mm. on first glance, what I saw, unfortunately, was what you saw as well, was, you know, I was invited into these riads, these homes, these guest houses where yeah the women were in the kitchen cooking up a storm amazing food absolutely glorious oh, so good. and out popped the men going do you like what I made and like <laughs> you didn't make that I know this um but it's it is kind of the way it's done there which was disappointing um not disappointing it's just different it's just really really different to how I would want to live mm. um, because of course I've been brought up in Ireland now my dad is actually Algerian um, and you know things are quite similar because you know yeah I was going to ask you that because they're kind of neighbouring yeah. countries and did you f- feel similarities between kind of like your Algerian side of the family and like families you were meeting in Morocco or are they quite different no there was a lot of similarities I have to say you know especially as you went a little bit more remote in villages and things like that 
Um, I always compare Algerian mammies to Irish mammies mm. in that they're super loving and warm and welcoming and you're not allowed to leave your ho- their house until you're stuffed full of food. Yeah. Which, you know, is... Gimme. Ad- yeah, it's adorable <laughs> and I like it. And, um, you know, I did see an awful lot of that. But the thing that kind of annoyed me more was that when I went from town to town to village to village... I just kind of saw men being presented out there. You know, there was men in the markets constantly Mm. buying the food. And I'm like, well, if the women are cooking the food, why aren't the women out there buying the food? Surely they know best. But there was no women to be seen in the food markets and the farmers markets. Yeah, that's interesting. Kind of public spaces are very male. And I remember that myself. And I was thinking kind of going, God, it's funny because I would have been there in like the late 90s. Yeah. And I was so interested to read your perspective, wondering kind of like, you know, how much has changed in 20 years from there. And then certainly like from their point of view in terms of like their actual kind of like political side of life and things like that, things are changing rapidly yeah. in Morocco. Like um, lots of women's rights are like, have been coming in in the last 20 years. Um, and also their parliament is like, I think it's about 10% or 15% women, which... Which is great. Is certainly. What do we have, like I was about to say, snowbad shakes compared to, yeah. you know, so-called progressive countries too, mm. where, you know, we're all still trying to get up on that kind of, um, yeah. you know, equality uh, tip. But I know what you mean, though, it is a very kind of male-dominated kind of society in terms of all their kind of, like... Mm play and they're kind of yeah. you know all the, socializing all the cafes that you see there's mm. the, you know and I couldn't get over it I was like I kind of one of the questions that I had to ask my tour guide is like why are, how are all the men able to work on a Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday all day or how are they able to sit outside and have coffees why aren't they at work you know so they're all drinking mint tea every and I couldn't I don't know I don't know who earns the money like yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that household I just can't understand it but it's just their kind of way of life and it does the, you know, the absence of women in public spaces, it, even though you're not completely aware of it instantly when you land, because, you know, you're 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 taken in by the glorious surroundings and the beautiful this, that and the other. Mm. And, you know, you're being a tourist. It, it does creep up on you by a couple of days in and then it really starts to grind you down. And I'm constantly looking for like, where are the woman? Please just give me give give me a woman to talk to. Mm. And I did find some great women. I did. I have to say. So part of the group that we did, we we visited co-ops Um and these are spaces and oh, workshops yeah, that are, yeah, they're created for women in the villages so that they can have a source of income. You mm. know what I mean? So they're not reliant on men, whatever happened to the men in that situation, you know, whether yeah. they're absent, this, that and the other. So the women can go out and provide for their families themselves. So it gives them a kind of a safe working space. Yeah. Um, and then so they're they're making the argan oil that you see everywhere and they're making rugs that, that are exported all over the world and things like that. Um. But then, of course, when you go down to the shops and to the market stalls, it's the men selling the bloody things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so you did see women there. Um, and, you know, but the, they're women that wouldn't have had much English. And my French is absolutely appalling, so I couldn't really speak to them. Um, and then the other, I did see a glimpse of some awesome women that I, like, could see myself hanging out with, which was... Um, one of our local tour guides was in Fez, and this I mentioned this in the article. Her name was Layla, and she mm. was awesome. But the things that she she tried to she could probably see it on my face. I was like, "Where are the women? Where are the women? Yeah, are the women? yeah." And what kind of age was Layla? 
She's like my age, definitely okay, like yeah. in her kind of early to mid thirties. Like, but she, Layla made a very good point about like her grandmother is perfectly happy staying indoors and she stays indoors mm. and she has her friends over. And that's what the other generation of women do. The older generations is that they, um, they have the women's room in the house, which is a good room that the women keep. And it's all pretty and, you know, nice. And, you know, it's like our, I guess, I guess it's like our front room the good in room. the old days. Yeah, good room. And uh, they invite each other over and they just have you know dates in their houses kind of thing and that's where they meet and that's where they socialize and she says you know they don't necessarily want to go to cafes and so it's I think it's a generational thing and I think you know I I think it's going to change and I think it's going to be slightly different in Morocco in the next 10, 20 years. Mm. Well, at least I hope so. So Layla gave me a bit of, a bit of hope. And as well, like the, the Moroccan women are very like Irish women. Like she, the gift of the gab was upon that woman, Absolutely. I tell you. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. she was just ripping it out of people. I was so proud of her. I was <laughs> like, yeah, go on. <laughs> so, so witty, so quick. Yeah, and so smart. I mean, I think that's the thing when you are a tourist and you bring this kind of baggage of your own culture mm. and a kind of an assumption that you're coming from a better way and you have to check yourself constantly yeah. to be kind of like well wait like I mean if only we were coming from a, a you know yeah. a better way objectively but really you know it's just different it's, it's not better that's it yeah. yeah when I was in Morocco as a teenager my favourite uh, like moment of the whole holiday was going to a hammam with mm. my mum uh, did you go to any hammams? no I I have fierce body issues I wouldn't go to a hammam because okay, you're, you're, you're you're stark you know naked oh yeah and if you're trying not to be naked they're like what are you doing and they'll absolutely rip your top off you because it's like a hygiene issue as well yeah but a hammam basically is like a communal bathing space um and like women have obviously their one and then men have a version of the hammam mm. too because i always remember i i was going along with my mom and my dad i was 15 and um my dad was taken into the men's side and my mom and i were taken into the mm. women's and like we loved it. My dad was so intimidated. But basically, he was just on his own. That was all that was going on there. He was just on own in a bath with, like, all these men that couldn't speak his language. And he yeah. was like, uh, okay, yeah. like, I'm on board, but I'm really intimidated. Meanwhile, my mom and I were, I was having the most relaxing afternoon I'd had in Morocco so far. Because I'd found Morocco really confronting to as a place to be, as a really... Like, it was my first taste. I was trying to say, explain to the, you in the WhatsApp mm. when we were chatting. I was like, it was my real only ever taste of, like, even just a kind of, a fraction of what it must like to be other in a society. Yeah. As, a, like, I'm so pale, I've blonde hair, and, like, you know, I was just kind of targeted constantly and shouted at in the streets. So they, they're very welcoming to tourists. Um, they do shout at women in the street. Um, and that just seems to be what everybody does. You know, it doesn't matter. Oh, like, sorry, not everybody. Men. <laughs> it seems to be what men do. Hashtag not all men. <laughs> <laughs> not all Moroccan men. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let's make that clear. There was a lot of men from all ages. So even like the young boys that I saw from the age of like six or seven were developing these, let's say, skills that were how to shout at women and get their attention in the street. Um, what kind of stuff did they shout at you? Oh, it was all in broken Italian or bro broken Spanish because they just figured I was, they don't know what. Oh, they thought you were Spanish. They thought I was Spanish. Ah. So it was all like, oh, la, 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 you know, and I'm ah. just like, oh, crap, you know, I just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking. And uh, so they're just, they're trying to get your attention. They're trying to talk to you. And then when you talk to them some more, which is, you know, I do, um, 
I, you know, I'd be like, so do you like living here? He's like, no, I want a visa. It's like, okay then. So they're like, um, do you, you want to get married? I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right, thanks. Uh, so you do, you get you do get an awful lot of it, but it, I don't think it's hostile. But it's a very, very beautiful mm. country and a very beautiful culture. Like the kind of like influences of like Islamic art and things like that are so gorgeous um, in like the kind of even it's just very vibrant like the souks are kind of yeah so colorful yeah the architecture is like and the Irish is is wild it's like don't take mushrooms basically because that (laughs) would be very intense for you yeah we like I mean I'd be a big fan of buying art when I am abroad particularly if it's by a local artist Mm. you know I love I love buying handmade stuff I love um, handcrafted art so Essaouira is on the coast and it's, mm. it's only about three hours from Marrakesh and it's a big artist community absolutely huge all painters sculptors everybody's in there so that's where I actually um, spent didn't spend a lot of time but I spent a lot of money yeah. and, <laughs> and it was amazing you know it was really really lovely so I think if anybody and were they artists like contemporary artists contemporary living artists and working yeah, living and working in Essaouira. So the I bought a piece um, from a young guy. I just fell in love with her. Like this, abs- this beautiful painting of a of a woman with no face. It sounds probably very Moroccan. <laughs> but uh, no, it was gorgeous. Uh, so he's actually from Essaouira, and I mm. uh, got him on the phone. I was chatting to him, bought it in the gallery, and you know, it's just it feels nice to come home with something that um, that was was made by a Moroccan rather than. Some of the, you know, the touristy knickknacky things that you're buying and you're just like, oh, God, why am I buying this? You know, because there's an awful lot of that. They do try and push an awful lot of tourist stuff on you when you're there because, you know, they're making they're making money off us. They need to make money off us. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So there is a big um, a big trade and a bit of a of a racket as well in that they'll be always trying to haggle with you but drive the prices up and up and you know if you're standing there with pale skin and blonde hair you're paying three times what you should be paying what oh yeah else I feel like is that just like you know maybe that just needs to be there as like a kind of <laughs> it's kind of fun <laughs> a westerner's tax yeah there you go just like you're fucking up the world in so many ways guys yeah. we're gonna absolutely yeah. screw you on a taxi yeah. like, did you fly here do you not know the climate crisis <laughs> <laughs> you said you were good at haggling though but I I do love a haggle. Like. Can I ask you about one of your pictures yes. from, um, from oh, yeah. the photo essay? This is really beautiful. So this is like a blue stairs. So that's leading. actually a blue town or blue city. Right. It's called Chef Shawin. And um, the entire place, the entire streets, the everything is painted the same shade of blue. Yeah. They've all just adopted it. And there's different reasons or there's different myths or tales about why the whole city is painted blue. Um, one of them is something to do with Jewish something because the Jews were in Morocco for a while yeah um, but but then my tour guide were like actually it's not true it's to do with mosquito repellent I'm like <laughs> I don't know who to believe here you're always listening to stories in Morocco going oh, I'm gonna take oh, a few pinches of salt going in with that now because I'm not sure what's true and so I just kind of walked around with the camera for a bit and um, found this lovely woman who's dressed in her blue robe with her kind of like purpley blue headscarf and her blue spotty sto- socks I was like oh you're class I know it's gorgeous Gorgeous. Yeah, so I just caught her as she was going up. That's like, that's her house. You know, they all live in these little tiny areas and little pokey streets with, you know. It's kind of like maze-like, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a whole different way of life, you know, but they're extremely happy, whoever's living there. And, you know, they've. I'm sure they'd look at our life and go, yeah, what you're doing is absolutely batshit. I like. mean, yeah. 
you kind of basically self-appointed as like band photographer oh, in your I- teens. And you said it was a great way of dealing with kind of like literally social awkwardness, mm. shyness to yeah. get behind the camera and use that to kind of like forge a way in. I was painfully shy. I still am. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll cancel parties. I'll cancel events and stuff that I'm like, I can't go to that. Oh, uh, yeah. There's people there. I don't want to talk to people. Oh, there's you a know. book out at the moment called Sorry I'm Late. I didn't want to come. Oh, yeah. You, you need see, to get that book. Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't apologize. I just, just joke. I'm like, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> but, yeah, but when I find when I have a camera, I have a purpose. And then I feel like I'm accepted into the room almost instantly because because I'm like, oh, that's Ruth. She's the photographer. Not like, oh, that's Ruth. I don't know why she's here. Do you know that? Yeah. Kind of <laughs> it gives me a purpose and a, and a reason to be in the room. And that's it's kind of, it's not how I got into hanging around in Temple Bar. Like, you know, to anyone listening, I'm sure there's loads of people listening that don't know what it was because I don't think it exists anymore. Yeah. Was, you know, we used to be... <laughs> essentially a broad range of goths but like there was metalers punks mini rockers trashers cyber new romantics goths. yeah um, so i was old, i was younger than the new romantics now yeah that would have died out like so i would have been hanging around there oh when i was like 14 right so what like 2000 or something or 2001 or something and uh yeah, so we oh skaters, skaters, oh, yeah, skaters. skaters. God, yeah. I can't forget skaters. Now. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think they literally like okay, we need to bring them indoors at least some yeah. of the time. But they were really kind of good. Like Robert Stevenson obviously monetized it and was like, okay, we're gonna have gigs. We're gonna just use these kids as free labor and get them in. So yeah. you know, we were part of the original Blast crew, say, and I was working for his record label when I was fourteen, and yeah, we'd travel cool. around Ireland and run amok in different venues, but putting on these underage gigs once a month in Dublin and then around the country during the rest of the time and that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore yeah and you know it's so lacking because a lot of the bands that played then or were involved in the organization of it I'm still in contact with today because they're managing record labels and they're you know they're journalists and they're this and I'm looking at them going God, I know you since I was 14. And and look at us now. We're both still working in the industry because we were given that chance to be part of the music industry when we were so young. Yeah, And that, you know, that opened my eyes to the fact that I could turn music photography into a business. It was great. It was brilliant. But I learned a lot and I learned a lot really fast. And I learned how to talk to people Mm. and how to talk to musicians. Because, do you know, I do say that... Like, I love music, absolutely adore it. It's a massive part of my life, but I can't play it. Mm. I can't. I can't sing and I can't play. However, it's taken over my life. And I do think that if I was talented musically, I would be on stage as opposed to in front of the stage. And, and this is the closest I can be to being in a band you were just with like, the talent I have. I'm just <laughs> off to the side of the stage. I'm still here. Look at me. Yay. I'm in the industry. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but that gave me the opportunity to do that, you know, and to meet the bands and... I was far more confident as a 14-year-old girl than I am now. Yeah, you yeah. You know, like 20 years ago, but like the world has really knocked it out of me. the world will really like slap you down. Yeah. I, I loved actually Cat, uh, Kate. <laughs> I actually never know how to say Catelyn Moran's name because she Catelyn. herself says it quite randomly. She doesn't say Caitlin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Catelyn Moran had similar, actually like a similar like parallel kind of start in her career in that she was like working at like Melody Maker yeah. as a 15 year old columnist and reviewing yeah. gigs as a really young girl. Yeah. And she, I've read her say like that like she wished she had the balls she had back then. 
Yeah. Not the balls, the flaps, like. <laughs> Sorry. I'm really trying to, like, help the language. Yeah. She, I wish she had the big pussy energy she had in her Oh, teens. God, yeah. So do yeah. I. But it was stripped out of me because one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was going to study photography. I have a degree. I have an honours um, BA in <laughs> photography. most random. <laughs> this is unexpected. Okay, so this is one of their biggest mistakes. It's been my biggest mistake. Getting is, qualified. Is, is studying photography because... Why do you think it kind of just stamped out the sort of creativity a bit? It's... Stripped me of all of my confidence. It really, really, it took me about 10 years to recover from my degree. Oh, I, it, it really, really pained me. It did. Mm. And it knocked me so much mm. that I turned my back on the kind of art community in Ireland. Because there is still this, like this is how many years later, 12 years later, and they still don't see what I do as art. So music photography isn't art to a lot of people. A certain arts bodies would see what I do as a documentary press work reportage type stuff they wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't necessarily see it as art whereas I do yeah. I see what I do as like this explosive moment between me and musicians and you know a, a coming together of all sorts of light of colour of I energy I love when you have the crowd in. yeah the crowd is a big element in my work you know I think there's a shot you took in the Olympia that I really love it's somebody coming off stage actually I'm really dense like about music he has his hand over his face yeah and you can see the architecture of the Olympia the Olympia is it's my favourite venue and it's the view that we as the punter never get which is the kind of full scale of of, um, of all the boxes and everything Mm. so that was Paul Noonan from Bell Expo and Uh, walking off stage and I just um, I'd done the whole show for them and I wanted to catch him as he was coming off and he was just coming off and he was kind of wiping his brow and he just had that moment of like that was good you know and I love seeing that in a musician when they're you know they come off stage and they're almost looking at you and the person standing next to you you know what their manager is kind of going was it okay how was it okay how was it for you and they've just experienced this like really singular thing that very few of us get to experience Um, connecting with that many people, having them sing your yeah. work back at you. Oh, it's such it's an amazing. It's so electric. So it must be incredible. They're the moments that I love to catch. Um, those like little, I call them kind of quiet moments, even though they're exceptionally loud. Yeah. But um, they're always really special to me. The quiet moments in a gig where you can see the thoughts going on in the musician's head about like, Jesus, this is massive, like, or or whatever mm. it might be, you know, where they're, it's just like little tiny moments. And then I, I would have done it a lot on the Hosier tour as well where I'd always be kind of standing behind the drum kit at the end of his and he'd turn around and always like make faces <laughs> like okay because he knew I'd be standing there yeah. you know what I mean so this, 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 <laughs> he's like I'm gonna ruin your shot oh yeah constantly <laughs> ruining shots I'm just like would you not just behave for 10 <laughs> seconds what I really love with some of your work is that like you have photographed some of the most recognizable faces in our culture and I think sometimes you really stop seeing those people like for example, Grace Jones and Stephen Fry, I found your portraits of those two made me really see them again. In a way, like Stephen Fry looks in one of your portraits of him almost abashed and nervous. I think he looks like a little schoolboy. Doesn't he? (laughs) Like he looks unsettled and uneasy in a a way that is so un-Stephen Fry-ish. Yeah, he was kind of giggling a bit like. And I kind of made, it made me really look at him again and be like, oh my God, yeah, I haven't seen you in years because I just, I'm like that Stephen Fry. And it really suggests that a real moment has taken place between them and the photographer. See, I love having the crack with people when I get them one-on-one because that's, me and Stephen was one-on-one. It Mm. was, uh, he was over for Bloomsday. 
we had taken loads of portraits and we'd done all the kind of James Joycey ones where I was yeah. like, oh, here's a hat and here's this and here's that. And then, you know, I was, we were just chatting. And that's the majority of what I do is if I have an hour with someone, the majority of that hour, 40 minutes of it is spent chatting. The first yeah. 40 minutes is just chat, chat, chat. Because that's the greatest part of my job is getting to know someone. It's only when you know them and you can you can see their character and their personality quirks and how they carry themselves and, you know, little glints in their eyes. So you're watching them for 40 minutes and you're you're also listening to what they're saying, you know, and responding to it and making them kind of feel more comfortable with you. And um, it's all because of that. Then in the 20 minutes that I do have them, they can just be themselves. But when you know they, they're not always going to be themselves they'll be themselves for a split second and I'll know to photograph that split second and in my edit that's the one picture I'll pick because I think it's most like them yeah you yeah. know what I mean I for me my biggest goal in portrait photography is that the person themselves and their best friends or their spouse or whatever looks at the picture and goes Jesus that's real you isn't it yeah I love that that to me is the be all and end all when someone says God that's really me I can see my myself and that I'm like yes job done you actually you're capturing it yeah literally job capturing done because yeah. otherwise they might as well just be models you know with nothing mm. at all going on and you know being a model is such a hard thing as well because you have to be a blank canvas I don't ever want to photograph a blank canvas I like photographing a mess of a human being in front of me and putting it all together and making them look amazing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will pull all of this together yeah. oh, I'm just going to photograph the best version of you that you give me um, <laughs> And there is times where I have people in my studio where we have an hour to take photographs, but we get so into the conversation. Welcome to a special one-off books edition of The Vulture Club. We are talking comfort reading your way through the apocalypse. Or something less panic-stricken, actually, if that's um, <laughs> disturbing for you to hear right now in your state of self-isolation. Everyone immediately switches off. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, <laughs> and turns off. It's me out. <laughs> Switch over to Fern Cotton's happy place. Um, so that uh, the dulcet tones you hear with me in the studio are, of course, Leodon Hines, a rogue co-founder, a journalist, author herself, um, author of the forthcoming How to Fall Apart. Welcome, Leah. So thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to talk about our like basically go to comfort reads. Yes. And uh, it's, it's the kind of books I think that you envy the people who haven't read them yet. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which brings me to my first one. Brilliant. I'm going to throw three authors with massive back catalogs into one category. Perfect. Um, and one of the things they all have going for them is that they have a massive back catalogue. So you're not going to have that like, I've committed, I've read one and now I'm slightly devastated that I don't have more of this person's yeah. uh, books to read. I mean, um, it's a totally like give a man a fish kind of uh, yes. ideology, but applied to books. Exactly. If you give a person a good author, yeah, exactly. it's better even than a it's good a book right. recommendation. So this catalogue um, comes under the title Books I Found on Either My fa Father or My Aunt's uh, bookshelf mm. kind of knew nothing about mm. got into and now would consider like on my top kind of 10 we've got Agatha Christie obviously uh John Mortimer's Rumpel of the Old Bailey books oh yeah and P.G. Woodhouse this is interesting yeah none of which I've ever engaged with I feel like we're probably gonna have really different um 
suggestions for comfort reading because <laughs> my kind of cry, as everyone I'm sure knows, you host a uh, real crime podcast, whereas my kind of crime level, I've discovered in thinking about these last night, is middle-aged ladies being yeah. detectives like Miss Marple or... Um, the Alexander McCall Smith Ladies Detectives novels. Of course. That's my level. ITV, armchair, cruise kind of so afternoon you need viewing. pure fiction because true stories are always more terrifying. More and terrifying. More and also the up. people are kind of dark. <laughs> yeah. I want like Vera is about as real as I will go. <laughs> uh, Vera on ITV. So, okay. So the first thing I thought was great about these three authors, authors which will really suit us this week, is that they all create a really comprehensive world that we can escape into much needed this week. Yeah. Obviously, with like, you know, none of them. I mean, Rumble of the O'Bailey probably is quite real, that they're the books written by John Mortimer. A yeah. lot of people probably know Emily Mortimer, his um, daughter, who's apparently in, um, might be uh, remaking the series with a female lead instead oh. of, um, obviously it was played by, what's his name, Leo something. So those books were based on her father's real experience of being a, a lawyer. Um, and Rumpole is this kind of irascible, kind of grumpy old character, but actually a complete hero, criminal lawyer, completely looked down on by all the kind of, um, you know, other lawyers who wouldn't d- kind of dream of dealing with the riffraff that he does. Uh-huh. Um, and he's married to this kind of, um, I think her name is Hilda. She's referred to though as she who must be obeyed throughout the books. And they live in a mansion flat in London. Um, and it's just like the writing is amazing. It, like I say, it's probably the most kind of true to real life. But it like Rumpel always wins out. He always kind of thwarts the like his main um, kind of uh, nemesis is Judge Bullington, I think he's called. And he has all these names <laughs> for them who was based apparently on someone John Mortimer knew in, in, uh, in uh, boarding school. So that's up first. Then obviously Agatha Christie. Um, Poirot and Miss Marple. I, th- I mean, I have the number 79 titles in my head. I know, I was about to say, how big are these canons? Do you know, that's I mean, going to keep you going. We could be in isolation for years <laughs> and you wouldn't even, like, scrape the bottom of Agatha Christie's It's going to take output. you a while. Like, I still, I I think I finished them when I was in my late teens and I remember the kind of devastation of thinking, <sighs> I'll never read a, a fresh This is it, one. it's finite. <laughs> um, takes a while to get there, though. <laughs> yeah, if, if, you've, if you have tried... Um, Poirot or Marple and found them wanting. The Secret of Chimneys, which has, um, I think her name is Tuppence. She's a kind of 1920s, kind of sparky, like full of moxie uh, heroine. So that might be another way in. And then Woodhouse. So people may know Woodhouse from the Jeeves and Worcester TV thingy uh, version of it. I have never really watched that and I would say that I don't think if you did watch it and it wasn't great which I could So was that Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie? Exactly, exactly. The the kind of Bertie is this incredibly wealthy total idiot. So most of Woodhouse's books are set in kind of early 1920s. He was writing from kind of probably a bit earlier than that. I think he started in the teens. um, I always see him as kind of like a bit more satirical, a bit more wacky version of Evelyn Waugh. Yes, he is. And, and it's actually, that world very much. It is so very much that enjoy, world. if you enjoy, like, Brideshead Revisited. Without the kind of side of, like, tortured Catholic <laughs> yes. guilt. Like, Evelyn Waugh did actually apparently read um, Woodhouse's books to his wife uh, when she was in hospital at one point it, it, during their short-lived marriage. Um, so, <laughs> I know what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, they were <laughs> they of a mind. the time. <laughs> um, but, uh yeah, I mean, he's satire, but it's very gentle satire, which is what we need, obviously, this week. Nobody needs anything too harsh. Well, our lives are satire. Well, so. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's very, like, 
It's very kindly done. And his world is um, this kind of idealised um, upper class Britain full of, like I say, Bertie is an idiot, rich but an idiot, and Jeeves the butler is kind of running everyone. So it's that world. Um, it's But the writing, that's where I feel like if you saw the TV production and didn't love it, don't let that put you off because his writing is just so beautiful and his turn of phrase is just so clever mm. that I just don't see how that could be translated to TV. Whereas I feel like the the Agatha Christie's absolutely could be. And of course, it's just they, yeah, plot central. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. interestingly with her, which again, if people are having trouble shutting off a racing mind... With anxiety, I saw a program a while ago which kind of dissected Agatha Christie and her popularity. And one of the points that they like, they had these kind of scientists like picking apart and her pacing was apparently quite fast. Mm. So the way whatever, I think she used like a lot of short words and it basically meant that you read her books quite, basically what they're saying is nobody stops to think this is ludicrous. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone could be suspected of this. This is very much my tactic with my novels as well. I'm like, don't even let (laughs) them have have a moment to think. Exactly. (laughs) So, so, which I thought, okay, that could work in that if you need something you can get into straight away, you know, that your mind is kind of racing and you're going to find it hard to settle this week, get into Agatha. So anyway, so that was my first, um, with a little sidebar, like I say, of Alexander McCall Smith, the, I think they're called the Ladies Detective Club. They're lovely, very gentle. um, Again, if you like, you're like middle-aged detective, that kind of thing. Will I keep going or do you want to throw in something that's not <laughs> set in the past in Tweed? Uh, yeah, no, I'll I'll take over for a moment and say I've got another author that's a gift for life and mm. it is, of course, Sadie Smith. Yes. Um, and I just think Sadie Smith's one of those people that like some people she kind of leapfrogged over. Mm. Uh, you'd be surprised, I think, sometimes people who haven't read White Teeth, for example. I haven't. Ah, I haven't read any of her stuff. And I feel like White Teeth was for me, like as you're saying, you got those recommendations from your father and your aunt's mm. bookshelves. And these are very much recommendations from my mom and my aunt yes. as well, actually. And it was like an introduction to kind of contemporary fiction for me. OK. And White Teeth is such a kind of like rollicking, fucking roaring good time of a book. OK. It's the best um, introduction, I think, for even kind of younger readers too. like say if you've got somebody in your, their late teens as well and mm. things like that. And mm. um, so White Teeth is like a kind of like, um, you know, three generations of three London families. It's just this kind of sweeping sort of um, portrayal of kind of, you know, the kind of Britain that was forming in the 70s, 80s and 90s. OK. And that kind of like like that kind of, uh, not to melting pot, but like, you know, yeah. it's a kind of a cultural sort of yes. vastness. Okay. And it's actually, I would love to reread it now with my 2020 vision. Yeah. Um, because I suppose maybe it might actually be bittersweet um, in in light of where Britain has kind of gone sort of since these days. But yes. like, um, Smith wrote it at like a disgustingly young age. She was about <laughs> 21. And it's, I think breathtaking. In fact, I've just noticed um, one of the cover quotes is a rollicking good read. And like (laughs) it does feel kind of gross describing something as that. But um, and she was basically like out of the gate with this unbelievable hit. Yeah. Um, And a very young writer doing it. And obviously um, a mixed race herself and uh, really like bringing her family into a kind of a mainstream Mm -hmm. audience, um, which was very exciting at the time as well. And she's gone on to have like a really stellar career. Mm. Um, Another one of hers that I really love is On Beauty. Mm. Um, And I think all of hers have really different feels to them, Mm. um, which is 
nice and always a testament to an amazing writer, I think. Yeah. Um, another borrowed from the bookshelves of my um, my mother and my aunt and things has to be um, Donna Tart. I was going to say The Secret History. So I just adore all of them. Do you? Yeah, and okay. I don't even... Really? I just don't even know where I'd place them against each other. I mean, I other. would say The Secret History is possibly my best book of all time. Yeah. But the... Um, what was the mo- the one about the bird? The most the recent The Goldfinch. Yeah. Which just... which It won the Pulitzer. And I think with Donna Tartt, they were always like, which one will we give the Pulitzer yeah. to? And Donna Tartt, similar to Zadie Smith, uh, like kind of came out of the gate, like uh, with an instant hit on her hands mm. very young. Mm. She'd gone through kind of like the MA... Um, in creative writing, the Brad Easton Ellis, mm. um, a Jay McInerney. She was yes. kind of in that, yeah. like, um, kind of cohort. Before she really even published a thing. Like, she was... I suppose, yeah. I mean, she had the talent to back it up. Absolutely. I feel like and being... they were a very privileged kind of lot. <laughs> yes. Talking about yeah. a very privileged world in kind of, like, yes. East Coast. Um, was Secret History her first? Yeah. Or was the... Okay. Because she writes... She's she three books and she's, it's one every t- ten years. I was about to say. So she's it? kind of almost the opposite of Zadie Smith and Agatha Christie <laughs> in that she has written three books complete... Uh, uh, only, sorry, yeah. in her yeah. career. And exactly, she averages about one every ten years. And they are... Um, just kind of instant modern classics, aren't they? They are. I mean, the first, like the first, I don't know, is a third of the night. night what did, what's it the called? secret history? No, or the, the goldfinch. Goldfinch. I mean, I think I probably didn't move once I like. It's one of the most compulsive reads. I didn't as love as much the rest of it in the way that I did the secret history. Mm. I just think that's one of the best books I've ever read. But yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. She creates these very absorbing worlds and. Here, three books are very distinct from each other. Totally. So The Secret History, her first one, which is the one that I, I really envy when people haven't read The Same. Secret History. Yeah. Um, it's set in a, a liberal arts college um, in kind of upstate New York. And it's um, a group of very eccentric, very insular, mm. self-isolation before it was cool, <laughs> students who are all studying classics with a very eccentric professor. Mm. And uh, they are very... Um, into kind of exploring the kind of back and alien side of the classical world and the mm-hmm. kind of harsh gods mm-hmm. and the kind of uh, the kind of mores of the classical world that we don't hear about that much, like sex parties and drugs and yes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But like Donna Tartt writes it so beautifully, yes, and um, and, and there's such a sense of the unknown, like it's written almost like a thriller. Like oh, you it is want a complete literary thriller yeah. because you meet yeah, our our narrator Richard on the first page, and it's after a terrible deed has taken place, yes, and obviously like really in the ground and tradition of thrillers she's kind of borrowed tension from later in the story because mm. you know you, you you know something terrible and life-altering has happened and um, and it's a wonderful story of um, comeuppance really mm. I think because you mm. have these terrible people that you're utterly addicted to you love them yeah. all but they are awful people and yeah. everyone one of them, you're like, oh, I don't know how anyone's going to make it out of this story alive. <laughs> and they barely do. Um, and then say The Goldfinch is um, her last, uh, like her, her most recent book. Mm. And it's, a, it's set in kind of the world of like antiques and art dealing. And mm. it's another uh, literary thriller in that it's essentially a heist book. Yes. Um, but again, her kind of depiction is so absorbing. Mm. I, I feel like Don Tart's one of those authors that's extremely um, populist. But she makes you feel smart. <laughs> yes. That's my theory on Donna Tartt. And I think that's yeah. why we all love her so much. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, she makes so, you feel good about herself. So there are two authors from the bookshelves uh, that I just, again, there's no bum notes in their careers. Pick up any of their books. Um, my next recommendation is, you kind of mentioned there, the kind of overarching 
um, escape that Sadie Smith takes in. Um, mine is uh, Bomb for the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. Oh, yeah. Which is actually that and um, The Secret History are probably my top books of all time. Again, if you saw the film version of this, with the absolute greatest respect to Tom Hanks. <laughs> I mean, and especially in especially this difficult time. In this difficult time. I have a side note on that to tell you, actually. Um, he was incredibly miscast, the character he was playing, who is... Um, he's not sexy enough. No, and he's not arrogant enough as well, because his, his character is this Wall Street titan living on Park Avenue. Um, and I think he refers to himself in his own mind as master of the universe. Tom Hanks... I mean, that's ne- that was never going to ring true. It was always going to be a reach for him. No. And on that, if anyone wants to read um, the uh, profile of Tom Hanks by... Uh, Taffy. Thank you. How will we do now trying to recall <laughs> Taffy's whole name Taffy off the top of our head? Taffy Brodesire. <laughs> Taffy Brodesser Ackner. Okay. She profiled him for the um, New York Times magazine. Yeah. And in it, at the time, she herself was going through a difficult um, time. She was feeling, she was suffering from depression. And at one point, she actually cries to yes. Tom. And he completely handles it and lets her and kind of gives her the space. And it's incredibly comforting. So it's kind of a short comfort hit if anyone needed that at the moment. Yeah, it's a great, one of the greatest celebrity profiles, I'd it say, is genuinely. in the last two decades. Yeah. And um, and one of her kind of opening sort of um, struggles is how am I going to profile Tom Hanks? Exactly. A known nice guy. Yes. He is known as the nicest guy in Hollywood. Yeah. And then he totally proves himself to be the nicest guy in Hollywood. And Taffy Brodesir Ackner proves herself to be one of the most talented writers. Yes. Because she makes it an interesting read. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like he's famous. She also wh- did that Gwyneth Paltrow one that is excellent. It, it, juicy. And then there's yeah. the one with um what's the singing Lady Gaga, Gaga movie that you love? Five foot two? No, the um Judy Oh, a star is born. Yes. <laughs> so she profiles <laughs> that has passed me by. I have no idea what that's about. Um so she profiles the male lead from that, Bradley Cooper. And he resists the oh, interview yeah. process like no one ever has before. And again, she makes an absolute gem of a read out of it. That a read is like juice. Yeah, it's amazing. Her book, um, Fleischman is in trouble. I mean Comfort is probably the wrong word, but if you like... I think it's quite tense. Yeah, it's tense, okay. Uh, <laughs> but if you like a New York, uh, a big, juicy New York read. So anyway, Bonfire mm. the Vanities is... Um, also, Bruce Willis was in the movie, which is another tragic miscast. It should have been <laughs> Bob um, Hoskins, I think. It should have been... Because he's playing a kind of, like, slightly sleazy... sleazy um, reporter who's like you know they just it, it was all wrong because, yeah um, and then Melanie Griffith obviously was in it as well as Tom Hanks' wife but it's set in New York you get all the different worlds of New York um, it's uh, Sherman who's play, who's the main the Park Avenue uh, Wall Street guy is accused of something and it kind of spins out from there and it just it's one of those books that kind of uses the the in really in-depth narrative of these several characters to then tell a kind of like it's been described as the definitive 80s novel mm. and it takes in all that culture of greed and vulgarity and race and all that kind of stuff but it does it in a way that you're so gripped by the narrative as well and it also very successfully jumps between several narratives sometimes I find that quite off-putting in a book when I'm really into one story I know and you're playing favourites yes exactly like, oh no I, I prefer Sherman yes and I'm kind of jolted and I want to go back to that so mm. that um, and then actually another New York slightly based one is um, Nora Ephron's Heartburn so <gasps> yeah. love it wait Heartburn it's not Washington 
she starts in Washington, but then do you remember she moves of to New course. York? Sorry. Yeah. So and also, is... what an annoying person. <laughs> um, excuse me, I think you'll find. You're getting the, the geography wrong. <laughs> so that's Nora Ephron's um, semi-autobiographical, what do you call it? Divorce mm. novel. Yeah. Um, of her first. The, of her yeah. first, where she was divorcing Carl Bernstein of um, All the President's Men. He was a, he is an incredibly famous journalist himself. Um, and he, the book, basically her husband has had an affair and she finds out when she is, I think, seven months pregnant. She's she's heavily, she's pregnant. Yeah, scumbag. Um, but obviously being, yeah, Nora Ephron. So Didn't see that in All the President's Men. No, exactly. When he's being lauded for that. Anyway, so um, obviously a divorce novel might not seem at first glance to fit in a comfort reading list but the fact obviously first of all this is Nora Ephron so mm. she can do whatever she, she can wants. do whatever she wants <laughs> and you just feel so good about it and so kind of charmed by her and I also think there's something to be said like I found when I was going through divorce myself I would re- read every night article I signed up to the Washington Post to read articles about Trump and I kind of took a comfort in like well my life is shit but yes. so is all of America's because they've got Trump I know it's quite dark better. because we're damning hundreds of thousands of people. I know, people I realized but I was the huge same with the, the Chernobyl TV miniseries. Like, just some of the most harrowing television ever, but it was really distracting me from some personal stuff I was doing. Exactly. Was and if you're on. getting it from Nora Ephron, who kind of delivers it in this like pithy, clever, oh, you yeah. know. And she's a real joy to read. Exactly. Like, sure, she does everything grief, divorce, yeah. like all of that yeah. anxiety. Yeah. She, like, With the general I feel sense bad of about my neck is really big, uplifting reading. Totally. Actually. Yeah, and because her whole, she makes you feel like this will be okay and we all get through, which we all obviously need. Um, on that, I feel like I have a subgenre of that <laughs> genre, which is New York stories. Yes. And of New York stories, I have to shout out. She says, having then just lost it. Right. <laughs> I have to shout out What I Loved by Siri Hustved. Oh, I haven't heard Have you that. ever read any of hers? No. She's a bloody, she's another gift okay. of an author. So Great. Siri Hustved is, um, again, she writes kind of a contemporary literary thriller quite mm. a lot of the time. And that's what What I Loved is about. And it is actually like, if you like a bit of juice, it is semi-autobiographical. Mm. And it's um, in the novel, it's in the kind of New York art scene in the 80s. Okay. And it's like, it's just such a great world because these people were literally like, you know, I was about to say shitting money. And I'm like, that's too gross. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out of the pod. These people just had, had more burn. money than God <laughs> at this time. Okay. It was such an amazing time in New York, apparently. <laughs> and um, what I loved kind of focuses on two New York families that are very intertwined. Mm. And then things take kind of a dark, unexpectedly dark turn. Mm. And uh, if you go down the Google tunnel... Mm. After um, reading What I Loved, you'll discover that that unexpected dark turn is based on reality. Okay. And um, it's actually based on her marriage to novelist uh, Paul Astor. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically um, his son got caught up with Michael Alec, who is... Um, if you're over, up on uh, true crime, mm. uh, he was the New York club kid who was um, convicted of uh, gruesome murder. OK. And um, so what I loved is just a, a, another joy of a read. Okay. Really, it's okay. so gripping. Okay. And uh, yeah, um, my uh, last is a, a few again. Um, Indian Night. She has three novels um, based around a character called Clara Hutt, who was kind of um, a version of India I think it would be fair to say so you've got My Life in a Plate Comfort and Joy and Mutton and mm. they take us through um, they're what 
they're commercial fiction. Is that the term? Yeah. Name? Yeah. So they're kind of, I, I read them, I think when my daughter was very young and I was breastfeeding and it was, you know, a difficult time <laughs> when you've got a newborn and you're very stressed. And it was just, again, complete escapism, but like in the sense of like, here's a messy life and it's all okay. Messy mm. in a really nice sense, you know, um, India, I think would has have what's described as a blended family. So this character, like Clara goes through several marriages, breakups, divorces. There's children from different fathers and she's living in this like lovely kind of if a Voca exploded in your house <laughs> kind of beautiful colourful house so one woman's heaven another's yes, hell but it's quite nice for the senses like I wouldn't <laughs> want to live there but I'm quite happy to visit it and kind of you know she's there by the aga and she's it's all just again that kind of sense of like it's gonna be okay it's kind Things of rage inducing not- <laughs> from where I'm sitting but <laughs> no, no, honestly, it depends on where you fall I mean, on the aga I feel front. like there's something aga people are unbearable well I feel like there's something very comforting <laughs> about India she's very she's one of those kind of definitive no nonsense but in quite a kind of reassuring way which I feel is what I want this week yeah also on that of just female writers who hit that exact note obviously Marion Keys I've just um read Grown Ups mm. um and I'm it's a it re- yeah and so it's a big read which again I think we've it would be nice if you're committing to a book at the moment if, and it's gonna oh, warm yeah. the cockles really give it some hours it's gonna give you some mm. time exactly um and again that's that kind of like life is messy but you know It'll, it'll be okay and we'll kind of get through, oh, which yeah. is I what mean, we need to hook to our veins. If you see an object that says Marion Keys on it, just, be it a book, exactly. a magazine, <laughs> a podcast, yeah. just immediately invest time in that because Actually, she's a bloody that, joy. Fortunately, with Jane and Fee, her episode of that <gasps> recently, I mean that, Jane Garvey, I mean, I just want to kind of cling to her ankle. <laughs> she's so, she now is no nonsense in the most reassuring way. Jane and Fee are two really um, seasoned broadcasters and their podcast is just them chatting and then a guest comes on and they slightly sometimes slightly kind of harangue and abuse the guest but it's their interview style is brilliant Marion Guise was on that recently and it's a, it's an absolute joy and then obviously Maeve Binchie I mean it's not no one will have not heard of Maeve Binchie but it's just a reminder she's out there the, you know tap into her because her books are again just that pure comfort and a massive backlog back, well sorry, exactly, backlog, back exactly. Catalog. Um, and then very last just you mentioned there um with one of yours that kind of like just wide ranging novel that takes place over years um the most fun we ever had um it's love it yeah it's so it's said it's about a family um parents i mean when you describe it you think how did somebody make that an enjoyable novel Uh, the father and mother absolutely adore each other and none of their children's marriages kind of live up to theirs on paper Mm. sounds it's really obnoxious (laughs) and annoying um but the writer i can't remember her name she's a former journalist claire lombardo um so another former journalist it's again just an absolute gripper if you like um, like my mother loved it and she'd be like a big, um, is it Anne Tyler, that kind yes, of. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like she, you know, loves an American family novel. It's a sweeping kind of multi-generalized, exactly, generational. Exactly. You can really buy into their lives and they will take you out of the. Um, and I find those kind of books are quite funny because they don't usually feel like a three act structure, mm. which is like a real traditional kind of, yeah. you know, plot device to keep us engaged. Mm. It's almost episodic. Do exactly, you ever notice that with exactly. those kinds of books? And funny yeah. enough, that recommendation really ties into my last one which is Isabella Allende South South American novelist amazing one of my favourites she's genuinely master of the sweeping saga and um, I'll I'll pluck out uh, as a a starting point a house of 
the House of the Spirits, yeah, um, which is a kind of a tale of magical realism, war, love. I was just going to say, magic realism is genius for this week. Oh yes, That's if exactly ever we needed kind of magical thinking. realism. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, <laughs> like House of the Spirits follows three generations of the Treba family, mm-hmm. and um, literally they're like trials and tribulations. Yeah, um, they're probably but, doing a bit of self isolating. There's a lot of war going on. I'm, I'm sure they're. they're oh yeah, in three generations, there's everything: civil war. Mm. There's, um, mm. I mean magic actual magic taking place but like I'm and I'm not a magic person but like you forgive it because it's so sumptuously written no and that's the thing she does magic realism in a way that it's her writing is just so like it's like surgically precise so it yes. works and She's also amazing. even her non-fiction mm. she, she brings in that same kind of like magical realism buzz to her non-fiction yes, exactly. and it's like why is this working but my god it is yeah so literally anything Isabella Allende I might just add on that our recent book club um read Kylie reads such a fun age yeah I loved just it. in that yeah everyone loved it everyone was like I read it in two three days just couldn't put it down it's a really good read um and but an easy read and a kind of a quick read if people are just kind of yeah, nipping into the bathroom to escape their family. Thing. Yeah, you just need a kind of light thing to like as in a, it's easy, you'll get into it straight away. Yeah, yeah. But as kind of like a middle class white reader, it's kind of like confronting too. Oh, yeah, but I think yeah, in quite a good yeah, way. Like yeah. it uh, um it kind of deals in yeah, sort no, it'll of give um, you a lot to think about. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's brilliant and it's it, it yeah, it's really, really good. But it's it I think it's like everyone got straight into it and was like, I can't put this down. Mm. But it's it's yeah, it's not a yeah it's good oh well thank you so much for coming and we are going to put links in the show notes to all of these recommendations if you're a bit like tldr just skip straight to the show notes and see our recommendations bye and also i'm so glad nobody brought up love in the time of corona (laughs) (laughs) wait till every single headline is love in the time of corona this weekend Okay, so here we are venturing into our bin it versus binge it. There's going to be so much binging of things happening. I'm excited on the back of that. And, uh, it, that, you know, it's small things. You got to look on the bright side. Anyway, Absolutely. finally watch Parasite. There's a world of content out there, guys. And if you're self-isolating, we have got your back. And it's Parasite for me this week. It okay, so you were sensational. Betting. Yeah. I was bet into it. It was brilliant. It's really long, so I did watch it over two nights. Oh yeah, which actually I would advise. That's a real because I came out with thing gusto. To do. <laughs> this, it is a real parent thing to do. This yeah, I find it night. really hard to interrupt a film. Like I just actually hate doing it. Uh, there was no kind of interrupting it. it. I just went flow. to sleep. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. It was nothing that I expected. I was about I to say, expected... did you pre-Google much? No, nothing. Yeah, neither. And I definitely got. What I was not expecting. Me too. Yeah. But in a very satisfying way. Oh, it was so it's like great. almost worth not really saying anything along the lines of a synopsis for this no. film, except that like it's set in Korea. It's uh beautiful looking. It's very beautiful, yeah. It's like sumptuous visually. Don't be frightened away off of it, is what I might say. Totally. Yes, that's uh, a good because I said to my mom about now. it and she was like, Oh, a horror, I'm not sure. And then she went and saw it in the flicks and she was like, It's brilliant. Yeah, no, and no. You yeah, it's, it, it's not that type level. It's but something it has, different. Yeah, it's something different. But it's it it's one of those, you know when it ends and you're both sitting there watching 
the credits for a second, both yeah. just like, huh, that really sort of hit and that affected me. Yeah. But in a, in a good way. I mean, I loved it. Loved it. It kind of had Get Out vibes for me. A yeah, little sure. bit. Not, n- not like that they are actually very similar, but more like it's that similar sort of uh, unexpected kind of experience. Yeah. I and mean, a similar you... kind of like thinker. Like afterwards, hmm. it really gives you like a an afterglow of thinking. It's pretty... I mean, if you if you watch a lot of Korean films, it's in that same vein. Mm. But if you don't, it'll probably be something really different. Yeah. And you'll really enjoy it, I suggest. And then that'll open you up to the whole fucking amazing world of Korean film, which is fucking amazing. Give us a recommendation from the Korean film oh, world. Um, old Boy. Oh, yeah. He did Old Boy, didn't That's he? That's right, yeah. And it's brilliant. Like, you can just Google it yourself. You'll get a top ten list. Old Boy will be on it. But, Yeah. Five out of five. Absolutely fantastic. Five out of five? Absolutely. I'll go four out of five. Just to be diff. All right. Just for the diff. And in terms of our binning. Well, there's only one thing I want to bin right now. Yeah? And it's my own children. (sighs) Like the super carrying, snot faced. I mean, they are. They are the source. Biological weapons. Yeah. They're the source. Yeah. And you know what it is for the first, not for the first time. Uh, you know when people are physically repelled by you when you go somewhere with a kid? Oh, yeah. Now that's happening to everyone. Like, about everyone's children. Everyone's being way more open with it. Correct. Like in the past, actually, if you go somewhere with kids, you are, you're repelling a lot of people. Say you're repelling mm. kind of fair 25s to 45s. Absolutely they don't want to fucking know you. Yeah. Older people would flock to you in the past, though. Mm. No, I would find like bees to honey. And now, and now those other people no. don't want to know me or no. my infested kids. It's true. Now, so if we just all bind the children, <laughs> why can't we just let them all kind of like be on an with, island in a permanent Montessori place <laughs> rather than taking them home? Can we not leave them all together Actually, there? The rest of us live freely. And then collect them when they're, what, 16? 12. 16. I like it. I was about to say, though, we saw this play out in Lord of the Flies and it didn't go well. (laughs) It's survival of the fittest at the end of the day. It always turns into a kind of shit show of cannibalism and... But the thing about it is, what, what we would do is leave our kind of most fighting fit youths in with them to kind of corral... So what we'd be doing is sacrificing kind of the you the troublemaking youths <laughs> and the very annoying small children in the same. I mean, it's a, a happy life for everyone else. We just get on with stuff. Finally, undistracted and unafraid. Okay. Of hooded youths. So you basically want battle royale? No problem. It's a classic Korean film. <laughs> it certainly it's, is. <laughs> um. I I wanted to suggest that we each pick like a self-isolation project for people to get bet into. So like I was thinking about how, so I never got around to Schitt's Creek. Yeah, interesting. All I ever Me heard neither. about was how utterly brilliant it is and class. I was like, I'm going to do it. This is, I've got some time. I can give it. The oxygen it needs. Sorry, Battle Royale was Japanese. That's true. Never mind. Keep going back. <laughs> I just had to quickly Google it there. Um, 
You're giving so, it the and well, I, I'm still too early days with Shit's Creek to really report back. I'm enjoying it, but I'm not sure if I'm the diehard fans. You know the really? way I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. Where Look, are you finding it? I'm Netflix. very happy to be there and trying and I'm working with it. I'm going and it's in. on Netflix. Or I'm going in this week. But I was gonna give my recommendation of like this is a series that if you've never watched it, you should give some time during this period of self-isolation. I'm going to go with Six Feet Under. Back revival. Way back in the day, it was one of the first big series. Awesome series that people were like, television's really, television's doing a few interesting things now. Do you remember that? Yes. Before movies were second class citizens. So tell me now, would I find it on Netflix? Oh, good question. I didn't go for any bit of like, what streaming service will you find Six Feet Under? But... Like, Six Feet Under, for starters, loads of people who were in it went on to do brilliant things, including one of the showrunners, Jill Soloway, hmm. who, if anyone got into Transparent, she um, That's right. created really that. really smacked to that. It didn't, it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. They're like cousin series. Brilliant. And it's all um, set around a family of undertakers, and uh, it's got a great cast, Um, it's uh, got the guy who went on to be Dexter in Dexter. Amazing. I can't remember his name. It's got um, his uh, name is just Michael C. Hall. There you go, Ultimate Michael C. Hall. Forgettable name that ever was. It's HBO, so it's HBO. So okay, you might actually have to do some. Um, you could do some tor- sort of torrenting or maybe streamology. We're not know. recommending that you pirate anything. You can do it if you want to. You but can yeah, buy it on Amazon. That's it. Exactly. You can buy it on Amazon. You might even be able to rent it on YouTube. Probably. But six feet under. Get into it. If you've never done it, do it. Now's re- the time. I'm going to re-enter that. Like a, some sort of... I was thinking of doing the West sort of Wing. Sloppy second re-entry. Oh, ooh. Yeah, I'm going in. <laughs> Remnants of me will, there, will still be there. Have you ever watched West Wing? Mm-hmm. I feel like I was in the room when someone was watching. Uh, yeah, is that enough? No, 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 no. I'm not sure, though, if it'll feel really... Well, like yeah, political tame sort of series compared with yeah. what we now just live I think in. That's the actual problem. That's the actual it's problem. It's no longer a mystery. The bubble's been burst. We're all just disgusted and sickened by it. Like House of Cards just proved to be wholly historically accurate. <laughs> um, nearly right down to the murder. Um, yeah. I was going to say another one like The Sopranos. If you oh, never yeah. did it, do it. It really is worth it. That, that is, is a really good it. series. But yeah. it's so funny when you watch something in its entirety and you feel the heartbreak of it finishing. Oh. How likely are you to reopen that wound? Look, I don't think I'll ever go back and redo The Sopranos. But, but if you haven't it was watched it. hell of a ride while it was happening. You're right. Yeah. And I even watched it a few years post as well. Like I didn't watch it until. The Mets show. Breaking Bad Breaking Bad I never engaged Oh so let's go back to the first series Very good Very good So they're the like If you didn't do them Do them Do them Now's the time Yeah Have you got any others? Have I got any others? My most favourite series No it's all the Real Housewives shit Okay Um, Shit yeah I really enjoyed And continuous Continue to enjoy All of that mad Mad TV Specifically I think it was the ones Real Housewives of New York Came to Dublin (laughs) <laughs> right on one episode oh really and I think it was the New York gang and it was I think the, the Brown Thomas ejected them Ooh. they were barred it was actually, why are they just Larry absolutely wild but are they not rolling in it like what, you could do anything drunk. if you're really rich not if you're drunk in public a lot which Damn. they are 
really. Oh, I did see a clip from one once where there was this woman like in a, she was sitting behind the wheel of a parked convertible drinking white wine from a glass. That's right. <laughs> and smoking a fag. Yeah, listening to her number one song. Oh, that's it. That's Who true. That? I think that might have been Real Housewives Atlanta. And I think I watched it on maybe Esther Amorjonu's Instagram today. Possibly I've never watched any of it. I'm not a massive reality TV person. Like I'll get involved here and there, but it's not my preferred. So what do you want to bin this week? Okay. I do have something to bin. What is it? What the fuck is it called? Though? Person, place or thing? It's a thing Would called The Pharmacist. The, the thing pharmacist. called The Pharmacist oh, on I've Netflix. actively avoiding this. I, it promised big and it's... I just don't think it's good, man. Everything about it is shit. I thought it was like when family's tragedy kind of extrapolated out to explore the Oxycontin epidemic yeah. in the States. Yeah. I mean, that actually That's is what it's about. Oh. But it's taking forever to tell me anything. Are we talking about and a documentary? I'm losing or the a will. Series? Yeah, documentary. Okay, boring. I'm sorry. I Would want to, to know all of the information, but I just need it faster. Taking an oxy. And watching it. Mm. Is it for those people, really? That really might pass the time better. Okay. Hell yeah. Okay. Um, I, uh, I have, I know I was recommending a really old BBC series like last week or the week before. I'm on to a new one. What is it? It's called The Capture. Huh. And it's another BBC procedural. And I'm enjoying it. Excellent. I have to say. It's totally old. There's nothing current about me. But if you enjoy... A BBC procedural, try it out. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you for listening. Are we going to wrap our show? I think we're going to wrap it up. If you're still craving some sweet, sweet content, head on over to roguecollective.ie. We have got some really cool stuff this week, including a piece by Louise Bruton on how to work from home that might be quite pertinent. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.